There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Sitting to my left, Jacob Padilla. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? How are you? Pretty good. It's a typical Thursday. I think my thunder are higher in the standings than your sons are. <laughs> Just going to get that out there. Wait Greg now. Smith is sitting across from me. Don't they have the same record? Greg, how are you? Do they? I know they... Well, they lost to the Kings last night. The Thunder did. They might have the same record now because the Suns are losing too. Greg Smith, how are you? Uh, I am well. I don't know anything about what you peasants are talking about <laughs> because we're 22. Peasants? Yep. One year. One year. Of, and you haven't even made it back to the playoffs yet. You can't call us peasants I until the playoffs start. I can safely say right now that they will make the playoffs. Okay, yeah, but until the playoffs start, you are not allowed to use the phrase peasants. <laughs> Okay, you can't I, use that phrase anyway. <laughs> I think I we were in the Western Conference Finals sooner than you were in the playoffs. Oh, man. I think okay. is, a, uh, is a fact. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. But, okay, but it's on the record that I can't call you guys peasants until they make the playoffs. So the second that they clinch the playoffs. Is that okay? Is that an agreement that we have? Sure. Gentlemen's sure. agreement? Sure. Huzzah. Sure. Cool. Cool. 22 um, or 3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we have... Well, I have um, Greg here and Jacob here to help talk about recruiting. Um, early signing day is December 18th. We are less than a week away. So we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting. Well, a lot about recruiting. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about basketball. Um, with signing day being so close, you guys need to sign up for Hale Varsity in order to keep up with all of the recruiting updates. Um, I haven't even been able to keep up. I'm woefully behind because Greg is pumping out premium content every single day. Sometimes like every couple of hours he's got something new up. Um, Greg is killing it. You can get five months of Hail Varsity right now for $9.99. That's five months of magazine and five months of premium content. So you can read all the recruiting stuff. Um, go to, I, I will link to the link, to the, the landing page in the description on our website. But for those people who are not listening to the podcast through our website, which I think there are uh, more of you than there are not. It's store.hailvarsity.com backslash register backslash try dash hailvarsity. That's the URL. Um, do it, please. Also, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever you're getting your podcast. I am currently working on Google Play, but I don't have access to the email account that these the all this stuff is hooked up through so I have to like go through another person and we have to like sync up our schedules so it's it's a pain in the butt um, but we're, we're working on that subscribe and rate the podcast um, review if you hate listening to me every week if you want more Greg and Jacob centric podcasts uh, because it was good a couple weeks ago um, 
A couple pieces of news before we start. Andre Hunt, Katarian Legrone update. Um, they were arrested by the Lincoln Police Department Tuesday. They had a court appearance Wednesday where they were released on bail. Um, I have been able to confirm that they have both filed appeals of the two-and-a-half-year UNL suspension, um, and they have also both entered their names into the transfer portal. Title IX has declined to comment on anything. Um, they are no longer on the football roster. I know that. The Lincoln Police Department is also declining to comment on ongoing investigations. ESPN is reporting that there are, um, that, or that there have been five other reports of alleged sexual offenses dating back to August 2018 um, that, that were, and I know this was a, a little bit of a confusion, a point of confusion for people. Um, the, the new reports that ESPN reported on, what was it, Wednesday? Um, th- those are claims that were made to the police department between Wednesday or Tuesday of this week and Thursday of the previous week when ESPN's initial story broke. So these are these are new people coming forward, new new um, accusers coming forward, so to speak. Um, so the, the five instances was August 2018 um, incident naming Legron and ESPN quoted another player. Um, that could be Hunt, as somebody pointed out to me on Twitter. Technically, it could be Hunt, but it also could be a third person. Um, there's also a September 2018 report naming Legron, a February 2019 report naming Andre Hunt, and then two separate April 2019 reports by two different women naming both Legron and Hunt. I haven't been able to confirm um, any of those as the police department won't comment on open investigations. Um, Hunt and Legron were both summer arrivals in 2018. All of this stuff is on our website at hailvarsity.com. Um, that is all the information that I have now, but I am working on the story to try to figure out more. It's just taking time because Title IX uh, is allowed to work um, with a little bit more autonomy than you would probably hope for that office. Um, the, uh, another piece of news, Maurice Washington had another court appearance in Santa Clara County Court Thursday. Um, prior to Thursday, Washington had a waiver to appear remotely in California court as he is obviously currently living in Nebraska. Um, that waiver as of Thursday, has been revoked by the court because Washington's attorney was unable to contact him for the court appearance. That was what I was told by um, a spokesperson for the Santa Clara County Court. Unable to contact. I don't know what that means. Unable to contact. Um, The judge issued a continuance of the court date. The next date is scheduled for January 10th. It's my birthday. Take note, the two of you. Um, and Washington is required now to be in California to be physically present for that hearing. They are still at the preliminary hearing setting stage. So they're trying to determine if they're going to have the preliminary hearing and when that date would be. And the preliminary hearing determines whether or not they have an actual jury trial. Um, so that thing is still moving at a snail's pace. It's not going to be concluded anytime soon. But... Um, we haven't gotten any kind of update from the football team on whether Washington was allowed back. I know Frost said at the time Washington was, uh, what was the phrase he used, indefinitely suspended, or did he did he say those were our words and not his? I think so those were those were our words. with the team? Yeah, not now, with like, the team, I think is what he said. Yeah, and, and he made the comment that um, they were going to have another meeting and that there if Mo wanted to rejoin the team, it was going to be up to him, but there were parameters that were going to have to be met for him to be able to rejoin the team, and that we wouldn't hear about 
any we wouldn't get any kind of update on Washington until the new year, I think is what Frost said, was the phrasing that he used. So um, there's all that. Wonderful time for Nebraska. Instead of talking about bull prep, we're talking about all of this fantastic stuff. So um, let's get into recruiting. Greg, do you think this is going to be a sprint to the finish line for Nebraska? Do you think it's going to be a happy finish for this class? Do you think it's going to be um, a little bit underwhelming for this class? Like, what's your sense right now a week out? My sense is, is it is building towards a happy ending, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. Like, the potential is definitely there um, for more of the chips to cash in than not. Um but as I think the Nebraska fans have gotten used to kind of over the years on these signing day kind of extravaganzas, they're gun shy on that because they just haven't seemed to go well for Nebraska in general in the past. Though under Frost, they've gone pretty well. Um, was it Ty Robinson committed on signing day last year? Um, so there, it's happened under Frost. Somebody else committed. On yeah, somebody else that I totally just blanked in 2018. on. Uh, who was it in 2018? Washington, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I'm not. Sorry, I'm, already, I'm so far past 2018. Um, <laughs> I was just that. looking at 2018 yeah. just kind of as a frame of reference and looking at the roster now, including uh, John Woodyard, who plans to use his last year of eligibility elsewhere. 12 of the 25 players in that class either never arrived or are already gone. 12 of the 25 when from you, his first recruitment. Yeah, that 2018 class is really rough. So right? I understand when people, not to derail your thought, Greg, I'm sorry. I understand when people say that that was a transition class, he can't be held totally responsible or liable for that class not being great. But at the same time, that's coming on the heels of a 2017 class that was an absolute disaster. Like, you need more from yeah. that transition class than what you got. And some of those guys were good play, like good recruits. Like, they were pretty highly rated, just didn't work out. Um some of the guys that stuck around have been minimal to non-contributors so far. So, yeah, like it, some, some like it's hard to get twenty-five difference makers in your first class, but outside of a few key important pieces, there, there's just, there's no depth in that class at all. Yeah, no. but I actually think that that's I tend to believe that that's more normal than not. Now, actually, it's something that Brandon and I have been talking about kind of offline for a, a little bit here about maybe doing something about this down the road, um, is looking into different schools and their transition classes because it feels like this is kind of what it's like. Um, and we're seeing that as some of these other schools um, are going through their coaching transitions right now and trying to build their transition classes, and it's connected to Nebraska because, say, a Florida State where they just hired Mike Norvell, Nebraska's trying to poach some of those kids, and some of those kids are already elected to go elsewhere or completely eliminate Florida State altogether. Um, they've had other decommitments. So it feels like that's something that just goes on. And to me, my early hypothesis is is kind of what Jacob said, um, but just accept it. So you're going to have a few difference makers or hope for a couple difference makers. And then the rest of it, you're just kind of hoping, <laughs> right? Like, and, and, and that stinks, yeah. though, when you combine it with what Derek said, which is that 2017 class at Nebraska, not good either. If the 2017 well, class was a bunch of successes if they hit on what three quarters of those guys then the 2018 class isn't that big of a deal and 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 i want to hedge the disappointing comment because like i think this upcoming season is going to be tell us a lot about that class because you've got caleb tanner and braxton clark and cam taylor Britt and adrian martinez like 
mean, that, that's Cam Jurgens. Yeah, yeah, Cam Jurgens. That's five guys. If if all five guys turn into difference makers for you, then that, that you're happy. Yeah, and and that and that I think that kind of has played a part in how slow the the turnaround has been. That they haven't been able to flip it quickly because none of the guys. That's again outside of guys like Martinez and a few guys here and there. They haven't been able to get a lot of guys. Wando Robinson's another example of guys that are able to play right away and make an impact. So you're kind of relying mostly on the guys that you inherited that have played on the team the last few years that have played for the four win, five win seasons. So it's like kind of hard to completely turn things around when it's the same guys, when the new guys that you brought in, you haven't had enough of those able to crack the lineup and, and really make a difference. Okay, what you were talking about with the class, let's get back to The other this two class. were Brant Banks and Jimmy Fritchie last year, that That's joined right. on signing day. My ultimate point was is that there's going to be a lot – it's trending towards a lot more drama on signing day for Nebraska than I think that people anticipated or would really want um, because Nebraska is, what, at 15 commits right now and will need another eight in the class total. Um, there's probably five or so that will be making decisions between now and early signing period or most likely closer to early signing period. So there's just going to be a lot of decisions that need to be made in the next very short amount of time. It's going to cause for a frantic finish one way or the other. But I think that it'll I think it's going towards the positive right now. Is there anybody that is like a threat to leave the class currently? Because I know we had the. I don't know how to pronounce his, his first name, the Hodge kid. Jamoy. Jamoy, mm-hmm. who was in and then he was out real quick. Is there anybody that's like a threat to leave the class? Or uh, the 15 guys right now, kind of, that's what they're building off and they're expecting those guys to be? They expect all of these guys to be in the class. And I, I should make a point to say that Jamoy Hodge was essentially asked to leave the class. Um, that was not a. Like and, and he basically confirmed that on Twitter. It's just yeah. odd that he actually did that. Normally that does not happen. Um, it's kind of a hush-hush behind-the-scenes thing, but since he said it, I will. Um, he was asked to leave the class. I believe, just my belief, that they asked him to leave the class because they have a bigger fish that they think they can land. Which is? Oh, I should tell you. Who the, the, yes, is, the, is it the Minnesota kid that they're seeing? No, I think that they. I think that they. I think that they. I think they have a good chance of landing Caden Johnson either way. I don't think that that's who they were talking about. I think that they feel good about Keyshawn Green, the okay. former Florida State linebacker, who's supposed to visit this weekend. Keep an eye on making sure his mom comes on that visit. His mom did not go on the visit with him to Miami. Um, so we need to make sure mom comes up if you're listening to this and rooting for the Huskers, uh, which of course you are. Tweet at his mom. Do not tweet <laughs> That's at his mom. That's the best <laughs> thing you can do right now. Dude, tweet not. at all of these recruits' parents and tell them that how much you need their child. Man, based on class. some of the Husker parents that have come into the fold over the last couple of years, you don't want those problems. Like Some of those ones, they're, they'll get after it. Like yeah. It's an active social media parent group. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Do not do that. Um, but I think it's him. <laughs> I think that he's the guy that they feel good about. Plus, they landed um, Etiva Maga Clements. Um, I'm going to have to say that very slowly as we continue to move on. It's Va. difficult. Va. Va is what he likes to go by, so I can go with Va now that I've introduced him onto the pod. Um, he, he'll be a pretty good player for them, too, at least a uh, rotational and special teams piece, um, so he can play on the inside as well where Hodge was going to play. So I think that's how we got where we got with Jamoy Hodge. Is... Uh... 
is linebacker the most important position in this class? Or the most important group in this class as you see it? And Jacob, feel free to chime in as well. I go back and forth on linebacker and wide receiver. Yeah. I actually, as I'm going to talk this out here, I, and I've talked to you both a little bit about this before, yeah. but I, I feel better about the inside linebacker group moving forward than I think most people do. I think that they have a bodies, clearly. Um, there. There's like six or seven guys um, at the position. I also don't think, I think it's way too soon for people to consider recruiting over any of the inside linebackers that were brought in last year. So Hannah Hendricks, Snodgrass, and then Luke Reimer as a walk-on who played the most out of any of those guys. And then you also have Zach Schlager coming in to the mix as well, the transfer from Colorado State. Joey Johnson is down there. I didn't mention the two former starters, and Will Hone is in Colin Miller. That's a lot of guys. It's the outside linebacker group that really makes you nervous because you just need to see more. Like, you need to see more to say, hey, Garrett Nelson, it's your show on one of those sides at outside linebacker. Dude, I'm on the Garrett Nelson train. I'm on his train, and I, I like him, but to feel really good about him holding that down, I don't know if I'm there yet. Caleb Tanner, I see the physical tools. I don't see it on the field. Yeah. So I, I'm really nervous about outside linebacker, but I'm very nervous about wide receiver. But again, it's not for a lack of bodies. It's because of the same body type. I feel like they need that bigger wide receiver, and that is something that we've talked about the coaching staff adjusting to, and they're fully aware of it. But also, I didn't think it would be as big of a deal um, coming in as well that they needed that bigger receiver, um, and they absolutely do. So that I think finding a difference-making bigger receiver is, is as important as anything else that they're doing right now. I, I will agree with that. And like you said, I, I think they'll be okay at inside linebacker as long as one of these guys can emerge. Yeah, just as, as someone emerges as, as serviceable. A, like, yeah, he doesn't well, even have to be a star. Like he doesn't, like Nick Henrich, for example, yeah. doesn't have to be what we thought he was going to eventually be next year. Like he just needs to be able to be in the rotation. He just needs somebody they can cover. That's, that's and too. that's what I, that's <laughs> that where too. I was going with. You just need to have someone out there that can be a little rangier, a uh, little bit more mobile than the guys you had last year where all like Colin Miller showed some signs, but he also got burned at times. Like you, you saw Will Honus and Muhammad um, Barry, I think both guys really struggled in coverage. So you need a different type of guy to come in there that you can put in in some passing downs and rotate in, so teams can't uh, abuse those guys on third down every time. So as long as you can get, like you said you need. So uh, hopefully Malcolm Clements will be able to play right away in that rotation. Mm-hmm. That gives you three guys. Henrich gives you four if he's what we think he is. So there's four guys right now that you can play in a game. And then all those walk-ons, again, the, the redshirt freshmen um, behind them. So I think the depth is fine there at inside linebackers. They continue because they'll add more for the next class. And, yeah, um, and they're already they're, they're in still trying to get another nice one players. in this class. So I think they'll be fine there. Outside line, and I think they'll be fine at outside linebacker if they can land that one big fish. If they get Caden Johnson, I think they'll be fine there with the pieces, with – Joe Dodoman for another year with Caleb That's Tanner hopefully progressing with uh, Garrett Nelson moving into year two. I think you'll have enough to get by with those guys if you can get and then adding Blaze Gunnarsson to the mix as well. So you've already got one in the in, in the bag for this class. You get that Caden Johnson and then I think you're you've got the pieces start to do more what they want. I do think they need that wide receiver, and heck, if you can get two, go for it. Like, if yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, don't let those guys. Yeah, don't let it be mistaken that I think they should just take one. If they can get more than one, they definitely should. So I, I think so. 
Um, first year, like coming in, you kind of think the offense will kind of carry you. Defense would struggle. This year, coming back, they lost a lot on offense. They brought a lot back on defense. And so you're hoping the defense could make a step forward and then the offense would be able to overcome the losses and maintain. The offense kind of stepped back. Next year, I think with some of the pieces, they lost a lot of production on defense. So I like a lot of the pieces they've got coming back, but they still have to go out and earn it and show. Like, I like the pieces they had coming back on offense too for the most part, and that didn't work out. Right. So I think the offense is going to have to take a step forward for this team to make progress next year because I think the defense will at minimum kind of stay the same, maybe take a slight step back because there, there was a lot of progress this year, and now you're plugging in younger guys there. So I think you need that difference maker at wide receiver that will allow the other guys to kind of settle into their normal roles instead of having to try to do more than what their skill set um, would suggest that they should be doing. So you get that 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 piece to that offense, I think it will open a lot more. So I, I definitely put wide receiver at number one and then outside linebacker in their number two as opposed to kind of lumping all the linebackers together. So then ignoring the... Like ignoring the situation with J.D. Spielman, ignoring any kind of potential movement from the wide receiver room, guys transferring out, um, guys putting their name in the portal, yada yada, is gaining a commitment, gaining these signatures of, and getting Omar Manning and Xavier Betts both on campus for this upcoming season. Is that what will ultimately be what makes or breaks this class? It will not make or break this class depending on the other pieces that are added. Like, if, like let's say, because I alluded to the fact they could have a big finish here. Um, if they have the big finish, but the only thing that they're missing is Omar Manning, then I still think it's a big win, and you're still moving in the right direction. But all of a sudden, then, if they do not get Omar Manning, A, it becomes extremely imperative, and if it already isn't, that Xavier Betts makes it to Nebraska. Then you have to start to look at Um, the transfer portal in like you've got to find somebody maybe that's immediately eligible to come in from the transfer portal and you have to have so one of the receivers that's on campus needs to develop but your options are limited because if we're talking about a bigger receiver that's already on campus we're talking about Javon McQuay and well and Darian Chase who we forget about um who was a four-star in his own right right out of Washington so I would. I think you feel a whole lot better if Omar Manning is in this class, and then of course Bet's making it, it. It's critical. It is, and especially considering how many how many resources and how much time has gone to the recruiting of Omar Manning. Um, you, he's got to end up in the class. Yeah, it feels like we talk about him every single week. We do, and compared like the amount we talk about him compared to the amount he talks is amazing. Um, but it's just, it's just I just think about it that way. Is it's funny to me. Um, but it's it's critical for him to end up signing with Nebraska, but I don't know how good I would feel about that right now. Let's um, you're gonna you're you're gonna do a thing again this year. You did it last year where you do a Greg's guys on signing day. It's a yep. special where it's so okay. Ex- explain to me what the criteria is. Is it because we were having this conversation off pod and I didn't get an answer? Okay. Is it best right now? Is it highest ceiling? Is it most important? Or is it some combination of the three? It's generally, for me, it's generally a combination of the three because I'm I'm looking, it's just, so then that adds up to the best five, my best five overall players in the class. 
because I also last year did like I took a, I looked at a few other guys um, to say like what this guy means to the class because it's not mm-hmm. just five important guys in the class it's going to be more um, than that but generally kind of like how my normal Greg's guys list is like is the best guys out there that they can get mm-hmm. this is the best guys that they got in my opinion. So I'm not going to ask you to give your number one because I don't want you to spoil anything. You don't have to say it if you don't want to. You can save it for signing day. But I think if I was doing it, my number one would be Blaze Gunnarsson. An outside linebacker because position of need, major, major position of need, and I love Blaze Gunnarsson. So you don't have to say who they are, but how many guys do you have in that mix for that top spot? How many of those guys are you looking at Um, to determine between? Right now in the class three... Okay. I could maybe push it to four. It's gonna be really interesting though because there because who joins the class yeah. is good because there's not a lot of guys left out there that you're gonna be like, eh, I'm just kind of mad about them. Pretty much, if, a, if from here on out, if a guy joins the class, you're gonna be expecting something from them. Unless I'm surprised by who else could potentially join the class. Like, so, if, for example, because we've already talked about him, if Caden Johnson joins the class, I mean, he's shooting up the list, yeah. right? Um, so well, Omar Manning's your n- number one on your last Yeah, then Omar, him, Omar so. Manning would shoot over everyone, just spoiler alert, if he decided <laughs> if he signs next week. Um, you know, Marcus Fleming, receiver out of, of Miami, could move up. So, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's difficult. But, yeah, probably a solid three are in the mix for the number one spot. And this year, probably even more than last year, I probably will give a little bit more weight to, like, how important they are to the class. Like, if they had lost this guy, would we think of the class differently? And did they need him at that position? If that helps at all to narrow down the the top three guys, I can tell you the top three are in consideration. Is, is Blaze in it right now? He he's that yeah he's, he's that, that no, fourth he's the third. That, no that fourth guy that I'm considering uh, is Nash Hupmacher actually the the three that I'm considering are Blaze Betts and Corcoran. Yeah, those and, be, and those would be the top those rated. Would be the top three. Yeah, and those Hendrick, are two Hendrick Gray is the other rated, one that would, yeah. in in terms of rating, would be up yeah. there. So Blaze kind of, I like Blaze for the same reason I like Garrett Nelson. They just play so hard. Mm-hmm. Garrett plays so hard, and he's like he's sprinting off the field at halftime and sprinting back onto the field after leaving the locker room and sprinting onto the field for extra like <laughs> extra points and and going to huddles and things like that like he just plays so hard for him to not deserve to be on the field more like blaze to me like i could see him being that same kind of player that just plays really really hard and that can make up for some of the the more i don't know like he's not physically a five star elite talent but like his work ethic and his motor and things like that can like make up for it. Also, I think he has a really, really high ceiling. I do, and a really cool name. <laughs> that too, I agree with all of that. <laughs> and the name, not only is it a cool name, but it fits his position. Like Blaze Gunnarsson, this dude coming off the edge, full speed ahead. Like it's just perfect. Yeah, Blaze, and he has gun in his last exactly. Name. Like shooting, <laughs> yeah, shoot, shooting off of his playing like his hair's on fire, yeah. screaming off the edge, shooting his guns. Yeah. He was born to be an outside linebacker. He was. He was. Man, this this wasn't as fun of a conversation then if we all three have the exact same like top three. 
So then let's flip it the other way, because I'm always curious about this from other people's perspective, because I spend so much time like thinking about like who's in the class, and who's coming in and out, and like where they slot and all of that. For you two, my question would be, who are the, who's someone that you think that we don't talk about enough, or someone that you think could end up being important that's not then in that top group that we just mentioned? Savion Morrison. He's really good. Yeah, I think we, I, Not that we don't talk about him enough, because that would... I, we don't talk about him enough. And, and every time you look that, up, he's setting some sort of record. Yeah. Or he's getting an award. Ford Player like, of the Year. That's just, not to say we don't talk about him. We just don't talk about him commensurate to how good he is and what he's doing yeah. in high school. It's it's crazy what he's doing in high school. Yeah. He, I think he has a chance to be really, really good. Also, Marvin Scott. Like, no one talks oh, about yeah, that's And, and that's I was going to say, because I think it's just the running back in general. Because So last year we saw that. Uh, Ramir Johnson wasn't ready, and obviously Ronald Tompkins wasn't healthy enough to give himself, put himself in that mix. So they ended up going without that. Yeah, are these guys different? Can these guys hit the ground running enough to be able to play right away? Can they jump ahead of someone like Ramir Johnson? Like how how is that whole backup running back mix outside? Is Tompkins going to be healthy? Is he going to be part of that picture? Like outside of Dedrick, uh, Dedrick Mills, the running back position might be as interesting as any. Uh, on the team, and that would include both of those freshmen coming in, maybe trying to get in that mix. Yeah, because I don't know what Diedrich's role is going to be next year. Like, we, we all looked at it and said he needs to be carrying the ball more than he is, and I don't know that they're just going to look at the room next year and say, yep, it's Diedrich Mills's ball 20 times a game, when they, now they have even more options, and they're going to have a healthy Wando Robinson. They should not use Wando Robinson in the backfield as much as they did. No. Shout out to the person on Twitter that thought that he was a running back and not 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 brought here to be a wide receiver. I went like, back and looked deleted as, his account uh, after the I, conversation. Not to continue dunking on that person, but I went back and looked, and even on my early signing day, Greg's guys last year, he was number one, um, and I said in that that I'm counting him towards the wide receivers numbers because he's going to be brought here to play wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, you've said that all along. All along. So, yeah, I, I think that running back room is going to be interesting because I don't know that they're like, and it's so, and I don't know why, but I don't know that they would want to just hand the keys over to Dedrick Mills and just say you're going to run it 20, 25 times a game. I hope that they figured out that they should be running him 20 times a game or close to that because I, I feel mean, like they were better on offense when they started. They were also better on offense when they ran the I formation. Well, that's not coming that's back. That's such a small sample that's size. Not like, that's. But, it, but, it, but you had guys afterwards saying, we enjoyed doing this, and you did it against the best defense you played all season. It is odd to have not done that again. Like, we, they didn't do it again at all. And then we got some of the mid-zone stuff against Wisconsin, and it worked really well. So, so I don't know, maybe, because that mid-zone stuff carried over. And yeah, that, did, that was Deidre, really Deidre got more run over the last three weeks, but I, I don't know. That, that running back room is going to be really interesting because yeah. is Ronald Tompkins ready to go? He got um, like they were dead set on keeping Ramirez Johnson's red shirt, mm-hmm. even though I thought he should have played more down the stretch. I yeah, I, I he just looked like a guy that wasn't quite ready for me. I can kind of see why they wanted to red sample shirt size. Him. <laughs> you can't yell sample size he... to me for I formation and then think that Ramirez wasn't ready based on like the five snaps that he got. Uh, yeah. Um. So Mills got 17 carries, 12 carries in the blowout against Maryland, and then 24 carries the last three weeks of the season. Before that, he hadn't got more than 12 carries since the season opener against South Alabama. And part of that, I think, was that he wasn't having a whole lot of success, but 
that that has much to do with the offensive line as it did him. And I think he got better and the offensive line got better. And then they felt, okay, we're getting more out of this running game, so we're going to give it to him more. So that's a, it seemed like they gave up on him a lot just because it wasn't working out and they wanted they believed more in the upside chance of Maurice Washington before he was out of the picture and um, Wondell Robinson. They figured, hey, if we're not getting this perfectly blocked, this guy has more of a chance to maybe get something out of it than Mills, who needed better blocking. So. Yeah, I don't know if give up is the right phrase to use. I get what you're saying, but I, they were just like in ex, like full-on experimental mode throwing stuff at the wall, trying to see what would stick, and they were like quick to pull stuff if it wasn't working. Which, yeah. like, and, and to be fair, like they, they might look at Dietrich this offseason and be like, you are the dude, and you're going to carry it 20 times a game because we need to do the same thing with Savion and Marvin Scott that we did with Ramir. And redshirt them, and they're not. They're only going to play four games, and like a combined twelve snaps. So, I mean, it 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 could be Diedrich's backfield next year, but it also couldn't, and that's why yeah. well, um, that room is yeah. is, is going to be just so interesting as long as Ryan Held is here, because he's going to continue to recruit a bunch of running backs that are good. Eight games, he averaged less than four yards a carry last year. Mills, Mills, yes. So that's in what one, two, three. Four, four of his last six too. So even is it because is it because he was constantly running into the back of his own blockers? I'm sure that probably doesn't help. But I just wanted you to talk about it. It it seems like that. It seems like that happens more after he's already broken free and gotten downfield. Like it's already a big game because in the backfield, most of the time, um, like the linebackers are there to tackle him before he gets the line anyway, so he doesn't have a chance to run into his own lineman. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's just hilarious to me. Like he's running up to a guy that's trying to make a block, and instead of cutting one way or the other, he just roll, lowers his shoulder and just goes straight forward. <laughs> you know what's what's kind of interesting to me? How long, Derek, have we been doing this pod? Uh, like time today or yeah, like, <laughs> time today. Uh, thirty-two minutes. That was super random. We we're thirty-two minutes into this. We haven't talked about the quarterback in the class. Yeah. No one's mentioned him as well, an intriguing piece, as a guy that you like. In my defense, <laughs> I was going to say I want to know how long until Logan Smothers pushes to be the dude. Because they're going to have, in a year, they're going to have three quarterbacks who could legitimately say we are the best quarterback on campus. That battle, and I don't know if it's, man, I don't know if it's this year because he is early enrolling. Logan Smothers will be here what, next month, right? Um and by all accounts, they're going to have to have a quarterback battle going into this season. And so I'm not proclaiming that he's ready to jump into that and steal the job from um, Adrian or jump over Luke McCaffrey. But he's going to make it harder on them. Like, his skill set is just such that it's going to make it difficult on those guys. And his skill set is similar to Luke McCaffrey's, and I think that people will be... I don't surprise is the right word, but people will be taken aback by how quick and sudden Smothers is. I think he's further along at this stage passing than Luke was last year. And for all the excitement about Luke McCaffrey, yeah. we have not seen him throw many passes, though he did throw the one uh, for the touchdown. Have we I seen did, him throw from the pocket he's pretty at good. all? I was about to say, he's pretty good throwing on the move. Throwing but, on the move. But that's but, something else that they, just as a general quick side note, that I still feel like they did enough with any with all of the quarterbacks that yeah. were out there that just Rolling didn't exist. Pocket. Yeah, it just yeah. didn't exist enough in the offense for some reason. I think that that should be a stable in the offense. Um, but I think Logan has a chance to make things at least difficult on those guys when he comes in. Um, and you've built a really, really nice quarterback room at, already here 
it, regardless of what happens with that battle. Um, so I'm looking forward to that a lot. Like that's going to be a really like interesting storyline to follow too in the spring. Quick note I want to make, and then a question for the two of you. Um, Adrian is about to be a junior. Like I mentioned this to you college. yesterday. Like like time flew by. He's about to be a junior. And I remember after his freshman season ended, we were talking about how like they feel pressure to win now before they don't have him anymore. And here we are with him going into his junior season. Um, compare ceilings between Luke McCaffrey and Logan Smothers because they they redshirted Luke last year. So I mean, they're only him and Smothers are going to be a year apart. Like if the plan is to have McCaffrey be. Martinez's successor, and then whenever McCaffrey McCaffrey has exhausted his eligibility, it's Smothers. It's only going to be Smothers for like a year. Yeah. Like, at some point, it's going to be one of those dudes is winning the job, and the other dude is transferring because they're both really good. Who yeah, I think that's, take, that's take, yeah. Take your pick. Who 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 has the higher ceiling? What? Like, who's going to be the quarterback here whenever Adrian's done? That is a very interesting subplot to this. Because yeah. you also have, have to have to cross that bridge eventually. You do, and you also have to kind of start grooming that guy. Now that you have them both on campus, you can start to picture how you want to build that up. And I'm sure Mario will start to think about that. Um, right now, I think that the ceiling for the ceiling for Logan Smothers, I think, is higher. Right now is what I think. Because I, I, I believe in Smothers' passing ability more than I do McCaffrey's. But the difference in the thing, the wild card that I don't know, is that Luke is so beloved on the team and is already like this cult hero within the fan base that that has an impact. I don't know how much of an impact, especially the fan base part, has of it, but it definitely has an impact with the team. Um, but if I, if you made me bet my own money, I would say the next quarterback after Adrian is is Logan. One thing that I think will work to Logan's disadvantage, at least this offseason, especially with him being an early enrollee, is the way Luke came in last year and how um, effusive Frost was in his praise for Luke coming in and, and yep. just committing himself to learning the playbook and being like one of the dude one of the, one of the only dudes that they've had that learned it as fast as he did and how like unique that was for them for him to just throw himself into learning that and getting prepared like it doesn't seem like there's <laughs> there's a way for Logan to top that like he's going to get compared to Luke maybe not like outwardly to the public but even subconsciously like they're going to think like oh he's not doing what Luke was doing last year yeah. like that might work as a disadvantage to him and I don't think that there's it, like it, you probably, I mean, not probably. You do know him better than I do at this point. Like, it, is he the same kind of? Is he gonna have the same kind of drive to learn the playbook as an early enrollee? Like, do you see the same kind of thing happening where you get a freshman that's gonna push whoever is starting? Yes, I do think that he's the same type of learner that Luke was. And, and this is this sounds weird, but I don't, and I don't, but I don't mean it in a bad way. We don't know yet if he has the same kind of like intelligence that Luke had because that's part of what that was with Luke is he's just a really smart kid and so I just don't know that and that's not a, a diss to Logan um, but I know he has the same work ethic and another guy that's a coach's kid as well um, that always helps so I, I think that he'll have the same dedication to it but you're right he is at a disadvantage because that question is coming it's going to come to Mario to Scott to Troy um, hey coach like compared to Luke McCaffrey last year and you guys raved about him where's Logan Smothers at in the learning curve that's coming that yeah. question is happening it's not and, fair to Logan, yeah. but no, it's going to happen. And, and that's – I kind of push back on the Luke McCaffrey hype train just a bit. Like, I just kind of 
I'm just kind of wait and see mode because of that, the McCaffrey smothers debate, and because I don't believe that, unless Martinez just completely falls apart next year, I don't believe he's losing the job. So we're still looking out um, a couple years potentially from actually having one of those guys even start. So that would give smothers any time, whatever, to make up any ground that um, McCaffrey may have gained on him this year in terms of uh, knowing what he needs to do. So if he can catch up that because he's got a little extra time there and then physically does is able to do a little bit more of what they want to in terms of the, the whole playbook, again, like we, everybody loved McCaffrey this year, but they did not ask him to throw from the pocket all season long, basically. Like we didn't, we didn't see everything he did was kind of scripted, was designed for him specifically. I actually can I also though make a point that I think that that's a good thing. Oh yeah, because no, I think that that's something that to me they had a plan for what they wanted to do with him, and I actually think that that should be part of their plan going forward with their quarterbacks. Because if they're going to do what what they actually achieve, what I think that what they what I know they want to achieve, which is to set up this awesome succession and run of quarterbacks, then you need to be able to go to that backup guy or that guy that just came in and say, hey. Here's an example of what we did with Luke McCaffrey and how we made him successful to begin with. Then we took those building blocks and we built that up. Like, you need to be able to start with that. And I know that wasn't necessarily your point, but I think that that's actually a really good thing that they need to continue. They did it with Adrian, too. It's training wheels. You you water down what he's he's allowed to do and what he's supposed to read. And Mm -hmm. then in year two, they took all that stuff away, and that's where Adrian cratered. They took all that stuff away. They put more on his plate, and they took away some of the blinders, and they said, here's... There you go, and, and, and that's where the problems came up. It, it'll be, and, and not only that, but then the defense. Like that's the thing. Like it's fine. Yeah, you want to script things to his uh, to strength, but when you're out there for more than just relief duty, you're out there for more than one game. People will see that film, and then they'll take that stuff away, and that's when you have to be able to do the rest of this stuff. So that's kind of like where I always push back on the oh, start McCaffrey, like get Martinez out of there. It's like you put in McCaffrey there. And then teams are going to start preparing for what they know he can do, what they've shown he can do. Is he going to be able to do more than that? Because, again, we did, he, they did ask him to do a pretty limited amount of things. He was successful in what he did, which is great. Um, he did show a lot of the things that people believe he can do with the speed, and um, he did make some of those throws. Um, so that, that's a great starting point, but th- that's no guarantee that that will translate to a larger role and more playing time where defenses can prepare for you. And we saw, again, how much Martinez struggled with that this season. That competition isn't going to be the most important one that happens this offseason for Nebraska, but I think it's going to be one of the most interesting ones. If if Noah Vedrill decides to stick around, I, I mean, I'm not writing off any of the four quarterbacks for being able to start. It, it's going to be very interesting to me to see the difference in Adrian Martinez's preparation for his junior year compared to his sophomore year, because heading into sophomore year, he was the dude. Luke McCaffrey was not taking his job. Noah Vedra was not taking his job, regardless of what they told us in, in, in public availabilities. Adrian was the dude, and he knew it coming off of his freshman year. I don't think I don't think he feels the same way coming off of his sophomore year. I think he probably is going to feel some some uh, pressure or some heat or some dudes nipping at his heels mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of shape he comes into uh, fall camp at, what kind of shape he goes into spring ball at. Um, what does he do in the summer? Like, how much work is he putting in with his wide receivers in the summer and, and individual stuff? Um, that that's going to be really interesting because, like, like could Logan like could Logan start in year one? Could like ignore the the Adrian Martinez part of the equation? Is he talented enough 
to start for a Division One major Division One football team as a true freshman? Yes, because I saw Adrian Martinez do it. So yeah, and I think that Logan is as good a prospect as Adrian was coming in. And I think Luke is in, in the same boat. I think yeah, he's also good enough right now to start at a major college football team. So it'll be interesting. Do you have any closing recruiting thoughts that you want to get to that we didn't touch on? Anything no. you want to talk about? We didn't talk about the polar bear, but that's okay. We like... There's so many guys. Like, it's really funny. For a, for a small, at this moment, 15-man class, there's a lot of interesting plots and subplots and guys that you're kind of curious about. Like, the defensive back group, and which is not finished. They'll probably add one more defensive back. Like, we'll have to talk about, like, what Travis Fisher has been doing. on, And we've got time to do all of this. But, like, there's a lot of, like, just... Fun plots going so, around this recruiting. It's just side. clear to me that linemen aren't going to play right away for them. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. well, and what complicates the matter there is Ty Robinson. Do they leave him at nose? Do they put him back at end? Who's go- Basically, who's going to play the nose? Like, if it outside of Damien, if if you've got Robinson there, you've got a couple other guys there, then you're good. Then Huttmacher is not going to factor into it. And have, the fact that he's enrolling in the summer, um, he's got his wrestling thing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they get a JUCO it, defensive tackle? Yeah, so like, so he could. What happens with Damian? Because they they could, yeah, they could need him to give some minutes here and there. But do they play green in the middle? Do they like how how does that picture look like? Because they've got a, a handful of defensive linemen coming back, but you're not quite sure how they're going, where they're going to play guys at this point. So I think that kind of like that's part of the the Nash discussion. There is you you don't know what's going to be ahead of him at this point. He could be asked. If, if things uh, break the wrong way for Nebraska, he could be asked to give you some like second, third string nose reps right away. But if not, then I think that's better for Nebraska if he's not a part of uh, the picture this year outside of four games. Okay. Greg, I don't want to step too much more on what you're going to do. You're going to have plenty of content over the rest of the week. So let's pivot to basketball. Jacob, I want to talk with you. Greg, feel free to chime in if you want to oh, as well. Okay. Ten, we'll minute, ten minutes on basketball. Um, I, have, I have two central questions that I want to ask you. Do do you put much stock? I saw a bunch of like, well, this like this is big picture, um, changing stuff from the Creighton game. Do you put much stock in the Creighton game and what we saw that game? And two, do you like Nebraska's shot selection on offense right now? Start with one. Uh, no, I don't think that really changed much. I think Creighton came into that game. Thank you. Wanting to light them up, and Nebraska had no idea what it was walking into, mm-hmm. and when. And so basically, the Fred Hoiberg's theme of this season, going back to when he very first started, is dealing with adversity. And they got hit with adversity right out of the gates from that Creighton team, and they completely fell apart. So they, they were not able to rise to the task in that game, and things spiraled out of control, and suddenly you're down 31 points. So that's something they, they didn't deal with adversity down the stretch against uh, George Mason, that lost either, where that got... I mean, it was a competitive game, and then it just got away from them. Things, a couple of things went wrong, and they just weren't able to get themselves out of that that nosedive. So, um, it's not something that we haven't seen before. It may be a little worse than we've seen, but Creighton's better than anybody they've played as well. So that, that's not too terribly surprising. But then also in the second half, you saw some things. Creighton obviously took the foot off the gas, but 
they also made some plays that they weren't making in the first half, regardless of what Creighton was doing. They also competed down yeah, the stretch, exactly. which is encouraging. It's not like they just loafed through the second half the yeah. way they loafed defensively in the first half. Yeah, and, and well, and they were they didn't really have any success defensively in the second half either, outside of when the walk-ons were in. But um, but they still they, played. Yeah, yeah, and they and they came out more. They came out with a game plan on offense and stuck with it, and they they played better in the second half, and shots fell in the second half, whether that was inside or not. Um, so that, that was kind of good to see the fact that Hoiberg was able to bring them in the locker room. You don't have a guy that's able to make those corrections in-game. Heck, Hoiberg used five timeouts in the first 14 minutes of the game. Like, he was doing everything he can to try to, like, guys, come on, let's go. And, like, there's only so much a coach can do. You've got to have guys out there on the court that can take control and make sure that guys are doing the right thing when someone needs to make a play. Um what it ended up being is just a lot of contested jumpers in the first half when things weren't working well on their initial offensive action. Um, so. Well, it wasn't even that. So when I was going back through, I went back through and watched the the start of the Creighton game for that defensive shot profile piece yeah. that, that that went up on Um It sucks, by the way. They, <laughs> they give up so much at the rim. Yes. They're not blocking a ton. Um, I went back through and watched the start of the game, and there's there's one sh- it's like 16 minutes in Cam Mack just ha- has gotten a bucket in transition it's their first bucket of the game yeah. um, they get a defensive rebound at the other end and Gervais Green comes down after I think one pass that he gets the ball kicked to him on the, the right wing and pulls up for a contested three and it clanks off Creighton grabs the rebound comes back down swings it to the corner and gets an open three and Tyshawn Alexander hits it and it's yeah. like Gervais' shot was like four seconds into the, the possession or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, this is an absolutely awful shot. And they seemed so – and, and I, maybe it, this didn't register to me at first watch, but they seemed so sped up and yeah. like more so than normal and out of their game, out of their rhythm, and just just jacking for the sake of jacking. Like the, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the way that they're shooting the ball right now. I know it's not going in, yeah. but I don't like the shots that they're taking. Yeah, no, and they're, they're definitely – and some are – Gervais in particular, and it, it seems like he's feeling like the pressure to be that guy that like that he was in junior college because like he was he shot thirty eight percent on high volume um, at Western Nebraska, and this year he's hit a few shots here and there, but they're just not falling for him for whatever reason. And I don't know if he's kind of feeling like I gotta I gotta be the guy to get us going here. I gotta get the shot to fall, and then to maybe be I'll fair, he should feel like that. Yeah. They are they are winning when he's playing well, and they're yeah. losing when he's shooting them out of games. Like, he should feel that pressure. He is the X factor for this team. Yeah, for just for the numbers' sake, he's shooting 29% on almost six attempts a game, which is a team high. So that's not good. Uh, Deshaun Burke, after shooting a decent percentage um, that – for the first handful of games, over his last two, his, tank, his percentage has tanked down to 33% on uh, just over three attempts a game, um, or actually just under four attempts a game. So he's second on the team in threes. And, Burke, and kind of transitioning to your second um, question there, and Burke in particular is a really interesting guy in that he's shown the ability to make tough shots more so than anybody else on the team, like off the dribble, step back jumpers, he's hit some tough threes, that kind of stuff. Like he's shown the ability to hit those, but then he just goes on some stretches where nothing goes in, and then he tries that step back, and it's just an absolute brick. Um, I think that Georgia Tech game, he hit a three on his first possession, did not score, did not make another shot the rest of the game, missed his last eight shots. He's a guy that's been able to get to the rim as well as anybody on the team in the half court, 
but he's just not finishing well enough. And I think, I think their inability to find any kind of presence inside easy is, offense is really, really hurting right now. Because easy offense to begin the season yeah. was let's find a way to get the ball and go in transition, yeah. whether it's pulling it out of the basket off a make or getting a rebound or a steal. They were living in transition. Over the last couple of games, the teams have actually been able to wall them off in transition. They've been able to keep them out of the paint. If you're able to stop that initial push from them whenever they first get the ball and you put them into a half-court setting, they don't have like they don't have the one guy that can break down a defense, and yeah. Cam is struggling with confidence right now, and they don't have an interior presence that can collapse things and open things up for shooters yeah. on the outside. And they're, they're really struggling with some of the secondary stuff that they're doing. Absolutely, and coming into the season, I didn't have much expectations for Kevin Cross and uh, Ivan Oedrago, um, just in terms of what he did, will give them offensively. Udreogo. Yeah, <laughs> the the Aogo at the I end. I am that's, so happy that the Cayman Islands Classic is over for two reasons. We don't have to listen to the pronunciation anymore, but also we don't have to see the same four um, like promotional commercials, commercials was, for oh, Cayman she, Resorts. I'm like, I want to go insane. to the Cayman Islands now. <laughs> driving me insane. But, but there was go. also no dialogue in the commercials. It was just the same like four soundtracks over and over and over again. I'm like, all right, I'm that, gonna go insane watching these. No, I I feel like I did. Temporarily, towards the end of there, it was getting pretty close to throwing things. But anyway, um, so they're not getting – I didn't expect them to get a whole lot from them. So I I thought there was a lot of pressure on the guards to be able to get to the rim and finish. And outside of Hanif Cheatham, who, again, is doing most of his damage in advantage situations, where he's not creating his offense, it's he's getting a, the ball on a swing and driving a, a – uh, pass a closing out defender, or he's or getting he's in transition. Out in transition. Yeah, exactly. He's got an open. So he's played really well the last handful of weeks, like after a really slow start. Um, but again, a lot of that is like that's not super impactful type of offense. Like he's not a guy that you can give the ball to to go get you a bucket when you need to. And we saw at that Creighton game, he tried a couple of times early on, and it did not go well. Um, so you needed guys like Green and Mac and Burke to be that source of. Uh, easy bu- easy points at the rim to balance out um, to kind of open up everything else and they're just not finishing right now and I'm probably going to write about this for my uh, Friday column just in terms of their finishing and kind of what the issues are and what the numbers are but you look at all those guys they're all shooting 50% or worse at the rim like those main three guards and that is just not going to do get, get it done because Ivan is shooting barely better than that he's at 51.5% at the rim that's and also bad. That's, that's really not bad. Good. No, that's really bad. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, so fifty percent making one out of every two layups. Fifty percent is good from the field. Fifty percent at the rim is really bad. And we've seen there's so many where they they're able to get to the rim and either throw up a wild shot or have shots rim out or whatever it is. So, outside of everything else, like the free throw is a huge issue. I don't know how much of that is going to get fixed. Like I said, I think a couple of the guys will get better. But this is a team with bad free throw shooters on it who are also in a slump. So even if it improves, it's not going to get fixed, I don't think, like to where free throw uh, shooting becomes enough of a strength. They've got to be able to finish the play so they don't have to go to the free throw line. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Tweet that came across my timeline that I shared in our Slack channel with the rest of our staff. And when Greg saw it, he was like, he he had my exact reaction. I'm sorry. 
just what? <gasps> oh, Twitter is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Tweet at recruits parents. <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> do if you take anything that. from this podcast, yeah. tweet at recruits parents, please. <laughs> and when they respond and they're upset, tell them Greg Smith told you to do it. <laughs> Nice. Low key, Noah Pola Gates' mom is probably my favorite Twitter personality of the Husker parents. She's awesome. Man. She's great. She's great. <laughs> She's great. Jacob, thank you for talking yeah. basketball. Yeah, yeah, I think we're done here. Yeah, I think we're done. I, think we're done. I couldn't hold it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, th- thank you for talking basketball, Jacob. Appreciate your insight as always. Were you done, by the way? Like, were you done with your thought? Uh, close enough. Okay. It's gone now. Right. Yeah, close gone enough. Now. The threat is gone. It's like we made the point. They they need to make layups, basically. Yeah, basically. Nothing else. Like that's where it's got to start. All the other stuff, whatever. But make your layups. Fair. Greg, thank you for talking recruiting. Thank you. You got. Um, you you both have work to do, I'm sure. Or. Um, yeah, well, there's in, nothing in, going on in the near future. Yeah, there's nothing going on. Remember, I told you I wasn't going to help you. <laughs> the uh, the look from Aaron when the, I still think about that look from Aaron when I'm like. I should just not. I should just go off the grid for the next couple of days and just see what happens. I would get murdered. Someone would find you. And Someone murder. would find me. <laughs> so, um, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Signing day is. Wednesday. I know it's the 18th. What Wednesday? Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have a podcast after signing day. Yep. So we'll we'll, we'll be operating with. Whatever happens. <laughs> clear skies, full hearts, can't lose. Yes. Yes. Is that the phrase? Clear, no, I think it's clear eyes. Full clear hearts eyes, full lose. hearts can't lose, right? You say clear yeah. skies? I did, I said clear skies. <laughs> okay, that's like something that different. <laughs> Isn't that united? Fly <laughs> <laughs> the friendly clear skies. <laughs> like, sound like Michael Scott out here. I'm not to be truffled with. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. How the turntables. All right. Close <laughs> out the podcast. Follow Eric. the podcast where you listen to podcasts. Read HailVarsity.com. Follow Greg Smith on Twitter, Greg Smith HV. Follow Jacob Padilla on Twitter. I don't know. I haven't memorized your Twitter, ha- Twitter handle. Jacob Padilla underscore. Underscore. You have an underscore in it for some reason. I don't know why. Well, the reason is because someone has Jacob Padilla. His name is Juan, and he's never tweeted. What? Perfect way to end this, bud. <laughs> Search up the handle at Jacob Padilla. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>